0: Welcome to True North Vineyard Podcast, where we share our Sunday gathering messages. True North is a vibrant church plant community located in Traverse City, Michigan area. We are centered in the Bible and follow the example of Jesus praying, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. We hope that our Sunday gathering messages encourage you to lean into the word of God and compel you to take action. To connect with us, visit our website, VineyardTrueNorth.ChurchCenter.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at TrueNorth. Oh man, tonight's good. So we are uh, continuing in our series on Pentecost. Pentecost was a couple weeks ago. Um, So we are in the last part of this series. So a couple weeks ago when we first got to Pentecost, we talked about presence. It was about God's presence. And what we talked about was that God's presence is now living in us. Pentecost represents from one point of view that God's presence is now with us. That it was always meant to go out. That it was always meant to fill the whole world. That humans and God were always meant to go together throughout the whole world. And this world was supposed to look like his world. So the second week we talked about mission. We talked about how the world kind of got messed up how everything just went downhill because of rebellion. And our mission now, apart from being able to spread and the Spirit of God filling the whole world, it also encompasses the redemption of humanity. It is now about calling people who were once far away from God back to his presence. And this week is our final week. And this week we're going to talk about empowerment. We're going to talk about when the presence of God is now on us God empowers us to do things. We heal, we see miracles, we see God act in this world. All right, we're going to jump right into our text. I have quite a bit of scripture today, so it might be easier for you to follow along with me. So I'm going to jump over a few passages. We're going to start in Luke, and then we're going to end up where we've been the last couple weeks in Acts chapter 2. I'm in the New Living Translation, and so I'm going to start with Luke chapter 4. 17 through 19. And Jesus is in the synagogue, and it says the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Skipping to Acts chapter 1 verses 8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud where they were watching, and they could no longer see him. And then going to Acts chapter 2, I'm going to bounce around all over this passage. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was like a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire uh, appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers." Scrolling down, they stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them and said, they're just drunk, that's all. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this, these people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that, or at least it should be. (laughs) No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I'll pour out my spirit on, even, uh, on my servants, men and women alike, and they will all prophesy. It's down again. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he exalted to the high place of of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour upon us, just as you see and hear today. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Would we experience empowerment today? Would you come in power and do mighty things among us? Would you come and open our eyes and open our ears to hear and see what you want to accomplish today? In Jesus' name. So let's go all the way back again. I love to go and tell the large story of Scripture because I like how all the pieces kind of fit together. So as we've been talking about from Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis 11, we have this moment. God has always wanted to partner with his people. But at the onset, humanity is drawn away by dark powers to do evil. And so we see in these chapters the story of corruption. We see that humanity was long, like was always meant to do things with God. They were always meant to go out and partner with God to do mighty things, to fill the whole earth with his presence, to subdue it. They were meant to have a great and wonderful time with the relationship with each other, their family, and God. And yet, these dark powers, the serpent in chapter 3, and then the sons of God that we see later on, begin to manipulate humanity and create in them such a corruption that humanity is no longer able to, uh, they are no longer able to do what God wanted them to do. And so God, in his mercy, puts the pause on the human project. And so what he does is he creates for himself a nation. He creates for himself a people, and that is Israel. Israel is always meant to be God's agent, to right the wrongs of this problem, to bring the nations back that had been lost at Babel, to bring back those nations who have been pushed out into exile. But Israel fails this again, where they had been called to embody virtue They end up embodying evil. Instead of turning to God, they fall away to idols and other gods. And so that's why you see the Old Testament prophets begin to speak about a Messiah. They begin to speak about this king who's gonna show up on the scene and this person's gonna fulfill Israel's vocation. He's going to do what Israel could not do. And then there's that little secret hidden part that after the Messiah was going to do this, his people who are now covenantly renewed, those people who would receive him afterwards, they were going to do what the Messiah did. They were going to follow in his footsteps. So this is where we get to the story of Jesus. Jesus shows up on the scene, and he begins to proclaim who he is. This is why I put the passage of Luke chapter 4, because Jesus understood his vocation to be what Isaiah prophesied, that he would be the one who is anointed by the Spirit. The Spirit would be upon him to set those who are captive free, to open the eyes of the blind, to preach to the poor the gospel. He's looking at the broken people. He's looking at the broken condition. As I said last week, it was about love that God came and called humanity, but humanity went to lust. Humanity was supposed to have the abundance of God, but ended up with greed. And people who are on the extreme top of the end and those who are in the extreme bottom of the end. And then we have war. What was supposed to be peace spread, humanity Wars against one another and enslaves them. And so Jesus comes and he's looking at this broken condition. He looks at those who are poor. He's looking at those who are enslaved. He's looking at those who are broken because of the conditions of, of Eden and Babel. Humanity is broken and Jesus has come to right that wrong. And so Jesus goes about healing the sick. He comes about Taking the torment of demonic spirits, and he shoves them off. The emotional and the mental problems are disconnected. Those pains that are in the body are thrown off. Those that are dealing in the soul are shook and thrown off of it as well. And Jesus even raises the dead. The one thing that no one expected Jesus to do, though, was to die. No one expected the Messiah to die. They expected him to raise up and sit on a throne. They expected them to conquer Rome. But instead, he didn't come to defeat the Roman Empire. He didn't come to defeat the world system. He came to destroy the system of Satan. That which is really oppressing the people. That which is bonded to our sin. Because of our sin condition, we are now oppressed by an enemy. And Jesus comes to say, I'm going to remove that oppression first by showing it what it looks like, by proving to you what this vocation is meant to look like. Healing is a part of this vocation. Casting off demons is a part of this vocation. The forgiveness of sins is a part of this vocation. And so Jesus goes and dies to defeat sin. Jesus' death overthrows the powers because he eliminates the chain. Jesus comes and he defeats the one thing that the powers had legal right to own. He takes sin. And now that sin has been dealt with, if the, pro- if the, if the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins is the message, then people are no longer exiled because they're no, un- no, they're no longer under the power of the evil one. They have no legal right. Their power has been overthrown. And this is where we get to the story. This is where we are. Jesus has done this work. He's died. And now, for the next 40 days after his death, he's appearing to 500 people. He gathers 120 of them for that 40 days, and he's talking to them about the kingdom of God. That now the kingdom has come in Jesus. And yet not fully. It's still coming, but the kingdom, in some part or fashion, is here. And now, you guys are going to get some of that. Now, you're going to proclaim some of that. And on the 40th day that he's with them, he says, Hey, remember that time we were out in the wilderness talking about John the Baptist, and he was baptized, and he said, Hey, the Spirit of God is going to be poured out. That's going to happen really, really soon. And I gave you that commission to go to the world and the nations to go bring them back and to teach them things. But before you go out and do that, you need the Holy Spirit. Because when you receive the Holy Spirit, you're going to receive power. You're going to receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. And then he supermans it. He just flies up into the air and everyone's going, wow, he can fly too? Sorry, just joking. But they're all gawking. They're all like, how in the world does this happen? And like, they have to like have a reality check. Like, I don't know how many hours they were just standing up and like, looking into the sky. And then like, God had to send a couple angels, hey, go get their attention again. <laughs> the angel's like, hey, hey, guys, guys, hey. Yeah, he went up there. You can come back down in the same way. Go back home. Go pray. You're going to receive the Spirit in a couple days. I'm like, oh, okay. So they go back home. They're praying for 10 days. And all of a sudden, boom, big old theophany. This big word, I'll explain in just a second. This moment of a sudden rush of wind just blows through Jerusalem. And everyone in the temple area is just like, what happened? This thunderstorm. And all of a sudden, these fires come down from heaven. As I talked about in our temple talk, this is us becoming the temple. Just like God came down in the temple and the tabernacle, he now comes down upon his people. And all of a sudden, there's this change. And Peter gets up and he tells everyone, this is the Lord. This moment right here is a signification that the Spirit is empowering the people. The prophetic Spirit of God has now come upon the people to do as he did. We are now called, just like Jesus, to say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to set those who are, who are captive free, to open the eyes of the blind, to preach the message to the poor. Those who are oppressed no longer have to be oppressed. We can say alongside Jesus, just like the Old Testament prophets did, is that like the Messiah, now the people of the kingdom, inherit the kingdom with him. We go and we do as he did. That's our vocation. Welcome to Christianity. You get to do as Jesus did because the Spirit's on you. So what does that mean, applicably? Like, how do we apply that? So firstly, let's start with this. If you've accepted Jesus into your life, you have the Spirit. That's number one. When you receive Jesus into your heart and you say, I acknowledge you as Lord, you get the Spirit. He comes in, you get the warm tinglys, and boom, he's in. You're the temple. You are now the people of God. You are now called. But how do we actually live that? Well, I want to kind of look at a few things. I'm going to go through, um, there are three listings of gifts in the New Testament. I'm going to go through one of those listings. It's just 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to go through nine of them. And I believe that the Lord has given us at least one gift uh, per person at least one because the spirit has been distributed among us. Now you may or may not know what gift that is and that's okay. There's also another caveat I want you to know. Is that if we're going through this list and you want that gift and the Lord highlights that gift. The Lord says that you are to, uh, Paul says that you are to eagerly desire the gifts of the spirit and ask God to give you that gift. If you say, "Man, that's one I want to see in my life," you can ask for it and God may give it to you. Also, last caveat before I go into it. Gifts are not always equal in size, meaning that one person may have the gift of prophecy, and all of a sudden they have visions, they have extraordinary moments with the Lord, and they have all of these things down. And you, you may hear a couple words. You might get a sentence, but it's not fully complete. Well, I would say this. This is, it's like a growth of a muscle. We practice it. That's why we have our small groups. That's why we do our home groups. Because we want to practice our muscles. We want to build this up. Because we believe that gifts come mostly in seed form, but then they bloom and they grow. And we ask God to do it. But the only way that we actually see them grow is by trying them out. If you're asking God to see healings, Well, the only way you're going to find out if you got that gift is you're praying for sick people. If you think that you've got the gift of prophecy, well, the only way you're going to find out is by speaking to somebody else what you think the Lord said to you. Those are the only ways that we know how to measure the gift size. And as you pursue them and as you do them, they have the potential to grow into greater ways. So let's go through those giftings because God has empowered us and he's called us into a journey of progression and he's called us into a journey of risk because this job that we have requires that we go with him and do as he did and we can only do that by taking risks. So the first gift I want to talk about is healing. The definition of healing, what I would say is this. We're talking about divine healing. Now some people would say it's faith healing I wouldn't use that term because faith healing puts a lot of emphasis on you and the person receiving healing. Now, sometimes when we pray, things don't happen. And if we're looking at this as faith, what we do is we're like, that person didn't have enough faith and they couldn't get healed because they didn't have enough faith. Or you didn't have enough faith and therefore that person couldn't get healed. I would push on and say, I would use the word divine healing because when we pray for someone, God can heal them. When we lay our hands, not now, when we lay our hands on people, various illnesses, uh, when we lay our hands on people, God can heal various illnesses or ailments. The second one I want to talk about, actually, let me give some, some thoughts real quick. I've seen a lot of healings. Like we, we heard stories about healings. But I used to, uh, one of my jobs at one of my churches was I was part of a ministry team that would go out uh, and we would do healing ministry on the street. And we would go out and we had this big old sign saying free healing. And we had this guy that just saw healings all the time. And there was this moment where this lady is just walking down the street and my buddy gets this moment, he's like, I know what's wrong with her. And I'm like, how? How do you know? And he's like, I just know. So he goes over to the lady and says, you got a pain in your back. And she's like, yeah. And he's like, God's going to heal you. And he begins to pray for the lady. And the lady just breaks down and just cries. And it was an awesome moment. There was later that evening, we walked down the street and I'm with Tony. And Tony goes by and we see this group of young teenagers and he's like, Oh, the Lord's doing it again. He goes over to this group of teenagers just very boldly and starts saying, you have this and you have that and this person had an ankle condition. Somebody else had a cast. And by the time we got through it, we had prayed for eight of the 10 kids and eight of the 10 kids had gotten healed. That was a moment for me to say, wow, that was incredible. We've seen healings a lot even in this building. We had, uh, I, I keep telling this story, but really on the onset, we had a young lady who, uh, uh, Autumn, you, you know Autumn Steffi, and Autumn was uh, working at her job at the time, and she's working with this person in her office. And this person has a surgery that she's got a hole on her heart, you know, the size of like a dime. And she's got to go to a surgery. And they had scheduled the, the surgery for that Friday. So on that Thursday, she tries to get the courage up to go and pray for her and then decides, I'm going to sit down. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm too scared to do that. Well, the surgery got postponed on Friday. Lucky her, right? So she comes to us on our Bible study on Tuesday and says, Hey, guys, can you pray for me to have courage to pray for my, my coworker? I lost the nerve last time. The Lord kept pushing me to do it. I don't want to lose my nerve again. And so Thursday came around. We're all praying for her, and she prays for her. And on Friday morning, I get a message on my text message, all capital letters. I've never seen my sister-in-law do this, ever. But she's got this long list where it says, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, Jesus is real. And she begins to tell us the story of how when the lady, she had prayed for her, that really nice prayer of faith, Lord, can you do something for this? And the next morning, she, got to the, uh, she went to the surgeon. They scanned her, and all of a sudden, there was no hole. So they sent her home. She was healed. I want to say this to you who are wanting to be, you know, you want to see healing in your life. You want to experience that for you. You don't have to be Tony. Tony. You don't have to already have the gift where you see eight children and boom, they're all healed in one moment. You can be like Autumn where you just say, you know what, I thought the Lord told me this and I'm going to try it. That's how we test. That's how we see if God moves. We just take a risk. That's what this is. This is a life of fear and overcoming fear to not be afraid when God wants to do something. Right? The next thing is miracles, just like healing. Like, in the Bible, we see stories of multitudes of fish and bread being distributed, and they still have leftovers when they started with five and two. That's crazy. You know, we have moments where Jesus calms the storms, and we're like, all right, those are Jesus' miracles. We can't do those things. But in Dr. Keener's book on miracles, which is a a contemporary book that has thousands and thousands of documented truth, uh, documented proof, we see that when there's a need, there's an orphanage in Africa that's running out of rice, but all of a sudden they pray for it, and that rice bowl never ends. It's incredible. We hear stories of... Uh, of people about to do an evangelistic thing and there's a storm that comes through and they pray, Lord, we want to evangelize. We want to see God move. Can you move the storm? And the storm turns around. It's insane. God does miracles because he wants to meet people. And the only way we're going to find that out is if we pray for it and ask God to do things even when things look impossible. The next thing is words of knowledge. As I talked about with, 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 uh, with Tony, Tony had impressions. Tony would go over and he's like, I feel like the Lord's doing something in this lady's back. Or he would have moments where the Lord would just tell him things. These are specific moments of revelation that God drops in our spirit. And it could deal with somebody's past or their present situation, but it's for their edification. It's for something. It's either for their healing. I've also seen it attached to prophecy, where God you know, will pull out a thing and say, hey, so-and-so, we see this in your life, and they're like, what? How'd you see that? The Lord told me. And the Lord also wants to do this in your life, and it's to bring them just a revelation that God loves them, that God's for them, that God wants to meet them and redeem them. Then we have a word of wisdom. Word of wisdom is given for us Uh, we have this impossible task or we have a situation or maybe you're doing a counseling session with a person and there's this problem in the middle of it and you don't know how to resolve it. And all of a sudden the spirit drops an answer. You didn't have any way of knowing how that was going to work. But the moment the Lord drops it, boom, that person's life is changed forever. They're like, oh man, the Lord brought us a solution to this. I love watching this. This is one of my favorite ones to watch is when people go, oh man, you must be really wise. No, I'm really dumb. (laughs) Like I ain't smart at all. Another one is faith. And this is is one of those moments where you have this moment where you're praying for somebody or something's impossible and all of a sudden you just have this certainty that drops in you. And you're like, no. God's going to do something right now. Maybe sometimes you have been praying for someone and it looks like an impossible situation, but all of a sudden you have this overconfidence. And you're like, God's going to do something. Now, I wouldn't say go to your bedroom and declare things and proclaim things over yourself. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when the Lord gives you a deep sense of conviction, then you do that. Don't abuse that. Don't just speak into the ether. But when God put something in your spirit and it's like, wow, God's going to do that. Then you say, God, in the name of Jesus, I want to see that happen. And you pray and you believe it because that's a supernatural faith that he put inside of you. We have a couple more, so hang with me here. Then we have discernment of spirits. Discernment of spirits oftentimes works in deliverance, where you're praying for someone, you're walking them through, like, uh, what is the causation to the problem that's going on inside of them? What's actually deeply rooted in this person that's causing the dysfunction in their life? Discernment of spirits will say, hey, this is what's going on in them. This is what's happening in this person's life. And then you're able to draw it out and pray for it and kick it out. Another part of discernment of spirits is also how to test prophecy when we prophesy and we're speaking in the name of the Lord, what happens is we begin, we begin to have a deep sense of who is behind this. Is the Lord speaking? Is it my flesh speaking? Or is it some other spirit that's speaking? That's how the discernment of spirits works. Is it allows us to test prophecy accurately. Then we have prophecy itself. Prophecy is when the Lord speaks to us on behalf of somebody else for their strengthening, for their encouragement, for their comfort. It is when God speaks that we respond and we speak for him. Just like faith, we're not the ones that initiate this. We're not the ones who initiate prophecy. We don't get to just speak out something. We are waiting for God to give us a vision or a dream or an impression. If he doesn't speak, don't speak. But if he does, speak and allow that to be tested. Allow that to edify the person you're speaking to. Because prophecy is the gift that Paul is saying. This is the most important gift I want you to pursue. This is the one that I want you as the body to build one another up. So pursue prophecy so that you can speak to one another. Then we have speaking in tongues. That's always the weird one. Like in a non-Pentecostal environment, this is the weirdest one, right? So when people are speaking in tongues, they're like, wow, that's gibberish. That's weird. Like, I remember that being the big turnoff for most of us who, like, were going to Pentecostal church who hadn't gone before. But really, it's a very simple thing. Speaking in tongues is meant for your edification. It's a prayer language. It's for when we don't know what to say in English, God speaks for us. It's, it's to intercede. It's, a, it's for prayer. And as you speak it, what happens is you have an awareness of God's presence. You feel more connected with him. And it's a powerful moment that you can experience God in a whole different reality. Now, sometimes speaking in tongues can also be a little bit more than just your own personal prayer language. It could be a prophetic unction which is the reason you have the interpretation of tongues. So when you feel like there's an unction of prophecy and you speak it in tongues, someone else in the room might stand up and interpret those tongues as, as something in the common vernacular. So if Bernetta were to stand up right now and begin to speak in tongues and someone else in the other room, they would interpret it in English. I would propose that all of these giftings should be understood through the kingdom framework. The kingdom of God is both already and not yet. It is already happening because God is healing. He is setting people free. He is using you to do all of these things. But what's going on right now is that we have not reached the end. You and I are still in mortal shells. You and I are still prone to sickness. You and I are still prone to sin. And so, until Jesus returns, we're still in a broken system, which means that healing might not always occur. We might not always receive something from the Lord. We are acting, we have to understand that this means that God is sovereign in the distribution of his mercies, that God is the one who chooses when he heals. We are not in control of when God does what he does. But we believe that God wants to heal and he wants to do miracles. But we understand that it is not always at the time that we think it should happen. He is sovereign to do these things. We are just stepping out in faith and walking with him in this. So and that's why we can continue each week to press into the revelation that God is good and he wants to demonstrate his kingdom to us and the world. That is why we can consistently come come to Him in faith to see Him meet our needs. God has called us to be empowered by the Spirit to reach the nation, to reach our city, to reach your home. God wants to use you. And that requires that we say, Come, Holy Spirit. I want to be empowered by you. Come, Holy Spirit. Show me what my gifting is. Come, Holy Spirit, give me something. So this is the challenge tonight. You have been empowered because the Spirit's in you. If you have not been empowered, if you don't have the Spirit, if you haven't experienced Jesus, well, all you gotta do is say, Jesus, I want you. I repent of my sin. I repent of my brokenness. And you can say, come, give me your Spirit. And we can start that journey. And he'll distribute a gift to you because you've been called To image him to bear his name to spread the kingdom go ahead and stand I'm just gonna pray a blessing over you and then we'll go ahead and change gears for the night father we thank you we thank you that you sent your son that you never gave up on us that you never gave up on humanity that you always desired to have a people And God, I thank you for what you're doing at True North Vineyard, that you have called a people to be filled with your spirit, to image you, to go out and share your name. And Lord, I pray that you would empower them with a deeper level of your spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill your people. Would they be known as a people of the spirit? Would we be known as a church that loves people well and draws home those who are broken? Lord, would you come? and bring us to a place that you've desired. In Jesus' name, I bless you. Thanks again for tuning in to the True North Vineyard podcast. We hope that you are blessed by this message. To connect with us, be sure to visit our website, vineyardtrunorth.churchcenter.com, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at True North Vineyard. We hope to see you soon.